What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World, the documentary Undefeated tells the story of the North Memphis-based Manassas Tigers football team, a severely underfunded and underprivileged team, and their volunteer coach, Bill Courtney, who tried to help beat the odds on and off the field. Undefeated went on to become the Academy Award winner in the documentary category at the Oscars in 2012. It's an incredible film, and I highly recommend everyone see it. You can find it on Amazon.com for rent. Bill Courtney, the coach in the film, has launched a new podcast, An Army of Normal Folks. So I'm really pleased to welcome my guest today, Coach Bill Courtney. Bill, welcome and thank you for joining me on News World. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. really is. You know, you have an amazing story. I mean, in 2003... You began volunteering at the Memphis Inner City Manassas High School in an effort to turn its underperforming football team around. Why did you decide to start volunteering as a coach? Wow. I'm going to try to give you the Reader's Digest version. I grew up in Memphis. I'm a Memphis guy. Dad left home when I was four. Mom was married and divorced five times. My fourth daddy shot at me down a hallway with a thirty-eight caliber pistol one night after drinking about a handle of us or scotch. And I had to dive out a window to save myself. I grew up with a lot of dysfunction and trauma, moving around in apartments and all of that. And the only thing in my life that counteracted all that chaos was playing 
football and sports. And my coaches were my greatest inspiration. And so when I graduated from Ole Miss, I planned on getting my doctorate in developmental psychology. And I took a job teaching school and coaching football so I could get my doctorate at night primarily to pay the bills, but also because I saw coaching as an opportunity to have a, a, a positive measure um, of effect on young people's lives, because that's what it meant to me. And I, um, I'm not particularly the most attractive guy in the world. And I bumped into a beautiful girl named Lisa and I'm from the South, right? And I don't, have you ever fished? Do you fish much? Do you like to fish? Yeah, I fish some. Okay. Well, in the South, you really try to match your tackle to what you're fishing. And so if you're like on eight pound test and you light into a 15 pound slab, you're really worried about that line breaking and you got to get it in the boat. Well, that's kind of like I was when I hooked Lisa. I was eight pound test on a 15 pound slab and I thought she was going to get away. So the only way I knew to keep her in the boat was we just started having kids. So we had four kids in four years. And here I am making $17,000 a year trying to pay for school with four children and a wife to take care of. And so teaching and coaching as a profession no longer was a pragmatic solution to my life. And so I got into the private world and started my business. But my passion for coaching and what it meant in my life and what I thought it could mean in the lives of others was never lost. So in the state of Tennessee, you can be what's called a certified non-faculty football coach if you take all this accreditation. There's a number of us in the state that do that. And so I took that. So the truth is I coached for 31 years while also growing my family and starting my business because that's what my passion was about. Not that I'm not passionate about my business because I am, but that's where my passion was. So when I started my business, I was broke, didn't have any family money. We literally had $17,000 in the bank. And I was 31 years old and I was looking for cheap industrial land because I'm in a heavily industrial business. We manufacture hardwood lumber. And so I bought a piece of dilapidated property in North Memphis because that's where cheap industrial property was. And Manassas happened to be a mile from my business. And some guys reached out to me and asked me if I'd be interested in coming over and helping coach. And so how I got to Manassas was really geography more than anything. It was close. It was convenient. It was a place that I could both grow my business and continue to coach kids. So I showed up at Manassas about the same time I started my business. And I found 17 kids on a high school football team whose previous 10 years record was four wins and 95 losses. And we started coaching football while I started growing my business while I was growing my family. You must work really long hours. We're in manufacturing, and so we go from 7 to 3.30. We're now on 50 acres, and I have 130 employees, and we do business in 42 different countries. But back then, it was a tenuous startup, and you're right. You got to get there at 6 to prepare for a 7 o'clock startup. And, of course, the whole time we're – putting in used machinery on the weekends and fixing it up with baling wire and duct tape. And so at lunch, I would run to the school, make sure the kids were doing what they were supposed to do. Then at 3.30, work ended, 
and I would go to practice and we would practice from 3.30 to about 6 and then drive home, get home around 7, eat dinner, try to hang out with the kids as much as possible and start it back over at 4.30 in the morning. And that was for seven years. So, yeah, it was a lot. First of all, your wife must have really been totally supportive. Well, she's amazing. And listen, the truth is I needed to coach. I struggled with the effects of trauma and fatherlessness. And I lettered in six sports in high school. That's a lot of sports. And I look back on it now, and I think I played every sport on earth, not necessarily because I was any good at it, but because it was my escape. And the men around me that were my coaches were who I could lean on. I struggled until my 40s. You know, when you're a 17 or 18-year-old strapping young guy, you're working out, you're lettering in sports, you're doing all that, you've got this bravado. But deep inside, underneath that hard shell, when your own father wants to have nothing to do with you, and when men come in and out of your life constantly that you think is going to be the next guy that's really going to be there for you and love you and then disappears, you start to look in the mirror and wonder not what's wrong with them, but you start to wonder what's wrong with you. You start to wonder why your value is so low that you're not worth hanging around and digging in for. And that dynamic exists in a large population in our country. It exists in a large number of the kids I've coached, especially at Manassas. And so even though I'm this white business owner, I identified with the reality of many kids from inner city Memphis much more readily than I identified with my own kids' reality. And so it was years before I came to terms with my own self-worth, my own insecurities as a result of the way that I grew up. And I will tell you that my time coaching at Manassas for me was therapeutic. It helped me to revisit and learn about why I felt the way I felt about a lot of things in my own life. And so long-winded answer to your question, not only was Lisa really supportive because we were raising four kids. I mean, our children were three, four, five, and six. And for two people who dedicate nothing but all their time to raising four children that age, it's a lot, much less a wife that allows her husband to spend 13, 14 hours a day working and coaching football and manning the home ship, allowing me to do that. But what Lisa saw was not only was it a good thing and good work that we were doing, but it was important for my own life. And she supported it in ways that most spouses would not. She is absolutely the hero of the story in terms of my life. It's fascinating. My son-in-law, Paul Lubbers, was a tennis coach. And he used to say to his players who would come to college and they would tell him about how they had this dysfunctional family or something. And he'd always say to them, you know, the heart of that word is function. So why don't you drop the dis part and let's focus on the function. <laughs> and I think he would identify totally with your story. Look, I'm not a victim. We all, normal folks all have issues in their life with family and money and jobs and whatever. And I don't want to, when telling you the background of my story, 
in any way paint the picture that I'm a victim. I am not a victim. I will never be a victim. And I think victimhood is debilitating to a human being's ability to succeed. Having said that, I did have a lot of burden on my heart and my psyche, and my time at Manassas helped relieve that a lot. So a lot of people will ask, and you probably will as we get into the story a little bit, about how we achieved what we achieved and all of those things. And we did achieve a lot, and the kids did grow as a result of it, but I think I might have been at least equal, but probably the biggest recipient of the inspiration that I got from those kids that had a positive effect on my life. Before we get to the kids, it seems to me somehow inside you, at some very early stage, and maybe it was related to sports, you just made the decision you weren't going to be a victim. You rejected that road. Philip Spain was my coach my sophomore year. He passed not too long ago. One of the greatest guys from Milan, Tennessee, a farming community, a no-nonsense guy who was rough and raw-boned, but also a very, very loving man. And I had a particularly rough week And I went to him to talk to him about it. And he looked me in the eyes and he said, Bill, you can either decide to be a victim of your circumstances or you can decide to dig your heels in the dirt and be a rock that other people break themselves on. And he said, that's your choice. And he said, and nobody controls that other than you. And he said, so all of this stuff that's out of your control, that's causing all these issues for you, You can either dismiss and decide you're going to rise above it and never have that dysfunction in your own life, in your own family one day, and you can dig your heels in and let that dysfunction and those crazy people break themselves against you, or you can be like other people and just be a victim of it. And he said, but that's really 100% on you. And it was then that I started to think about my existence and how I was going to approach life and my future in a different way. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. 
basically everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Newt. In my new book, March the Majority, The Real Story of the Republican Revolution, I offer strategies and insights for everyday citizens and for seasoned politicians. It's both a guide for political success and for winning back the majority in 2024. March the Majority outlines the 16-year campaign to write the contract with America, explains how we elected the first Republican House majority in 40 years, and how we worked with President Bill Clinton to pass major reforms including four consecutive balanced budgets. March to the Majority tells the behind-the-scenes story of how we got it done. Here's a special offer for my podcast listeners. You can order March to the Majority right now at gingrich360.com slash book, and it'll be shipped directly to you. Don't miss out on this special offer. Go to gingrich360.com slash book and order your copy now. Order it today at gingrich360.com slash book. Part of what's amazing is that I'm a big fan of the Green Bay Packers and Chris and I own one share of stocks. We always tell people we're professional football team owners. One of the most amazing things in the Packers history was that Vince Lombardi arrives immediately after the worst season in the team's history and taking exactly the same players turns them around and they become winners the first year that he's there and the second year they're in the playoffs. In a sense, you did exactly that. You go to a school where they had not won a playoff game in their 110-year history. The team, before you get there, only had 19 players. They had a 4-95 and record over the previous 10 years. And boom, you turn it all around. Now, how did you do that? So I believe I have a number of mantras. Two of them fit the answer here. One is... Players win games and coaches win players. I've never seen a coach make a tackle. I've never seen a coach throw a touchdown pass. I've never seen a coach do anything but stand on the sideline. Players win games. Coaches win players. And so the first thing you have to do is win your players' hearts and minds so they have buy-in to what you're trying to achieve. And you do that by listing. There's a story under every helmet. And you win your players by holding them accountable, 
giving them rules and expectations that are clear and then holding them accountable to them. And when they mess up, pointing it out, but loving them up twice as hard as you beat them up. And over time, they start to understand that you're going to serve them in order to lead them and that your motivation is their success, not your own. And when you do that, you start to win players. The second thing is you obviously got to coach X's and O's in football, but more importantly, you got to coach things like character, integrity, the value of teamwork, the basic fundamentals and tenets that are in my book that I write about, because I believe that the fundamentals and tenets that serve you well on a football field, more importantly, serve you well after the days of playing the game are over. And I think you talk about that with kids too, so that they understand that you're not there just to win games. You're there to win at life. And so when you win your kids and you give them a roadmap, at how to win at games, but also at life with both X's and O's, but also fundamentals and tenets that serve you well in all aspects of your life, you create a culture of positivity. And when you create that culture, other kids are drawn to it. And so you grow your numbers, you grow your talent, you continue to coach sound football, but you continue to also coach sound life lessons. And over a period of time, you hope that that culture builds into a winning atmosphere. And that's what we did. We were there seven years and it was not immediate success. It takes a while. And I had a guy named Arshay Cooper on my podcast about four weeks ago. Amazing story. He was on the first all black row team in the United States and since has started 300 row teams across the country. But Something he said to me resonated so real with me is that when every day you leave your apartment in the projects, he's from Westside Chicago, and you walk down the hall and you literally step over pools of blood or you smell weed or crack pipes or the wails of mothers who've lost children are a weekly sound. And you have seen people be shot in the streets. You have seen people shoot back and shoot other people defending themselves. You have literally seen all the things that a United States Marine has seen in Fallujah, who comes back with PTSD, but you're 12. You're not grown. And when you're 12 and that's what you see and that's the noise and the reality around you every day, when you get to school... You don't care who is on the Mayflower and how to figure out what half of 50% is, is just not going to happen. That learning environment is not conducive to anybody because the school is filled with kids who are just trying to make it through the day and whose stress and trauma is far too great to create a conducive learning environment. And it's just so true. And so when I got to Manassas, I found kids from the fifth poorest zip code in the United States, a place where an 18-year-old male is three times more likely to be dead or incarcerated by his 21st birthday than he is to have a job. I found a place that fewer than 1% of the people have a college degree and fewer than half have a high school diploma or GED equivalent. Just 
unbelievable disenfranchisement and poverty and loss. And despite that, the human condition continued to shine through because I was surrounded by 15, 16 and 17 year olds that just wanted to be part of anything positive, anything to better their life. And so when you start trying to teach the fundamentals that I'm talking about teaching, they largely fall on deaf ears at first because those fundamentals don't get you a meal or home safely. And so the other part is you have to listen as a leader. You have to listen to understand the reality of the people you seek to serve. And then in listening, understand, empathize, but also work to remove the impediments to their success. And so we started working on that too. And holistically, when you combine all of those things, you have a chance to change a narrative, but it is not easy. And you don't win every kid. But over the course of time, you try to win more than you lose. And in doing so, build a culture that fosters success on the football field, but also well after the days of football are over. I noticed that in your last two years, you had 31 out of your 32 seniors went on to college. That's astonishing compared to what it would have been like without you. I appreciate you saying that. I would say that's astonishing compared to what it would have been without kids who were willing to look at life differently and adhere to tenets that they had not previously had employed in their life. I got to say this with all humility, and this is not some all shucks, false Southern humility. I didn't save anybody. I went to coach football and I coached football in Manassas no differently than I coached all white teams out in the suburbs or my first job that was in a very rural farming community. I taught and coached the same fundamentals in the same way I'd always coached. I didn't go there to save anybody. The amazing success of those last two years, the numbers you just used about college, the fact that we were 18 and two and had 70 kids on the team, all of that is a testament to the truth that the zip code at the time of your birth does not necessarily have to determine the success that you have in your life. You can overcome. And those kids did the work. They're the ones that took the ACT. We offered it and provided a level playing field, but they're the ones who took ACT prep classes. They're the ones who started to buy into the fundamentals. They're the ones who understood that showing up on time was important. They're the ones who understood that teamwork was a thread that binds everything in our country. They're the ones that got past it all. And you got to understand, man, I mean, some of them were being called sellouts. Well, that white coach ain't got nothing for you. You're doing homework. Homework's for chumps. You know, a lot of the things that I was requiring of these kids were counter to a lot of the culture of the people that surrounded them. And oftentimes they had to turn their back on some of their own naturally born ethos in order to be part of something that was possibly life changing for them. But they did the work. They got themselves into college. I didn't do anything. And so... Yes, it is astounding what happened as a result of the work we all did together, but I give all credit to the kids. As you were, you and they were succeeding, you end up doing Undefeated as a documentary. How did that happen? <laughs> I'm minding my own business, running my business, raising my kids, coaching football, 
and these three 29-year-old goofy guys from L.A. showed up wearing skinny-legged jeans and scarves. And nobody in Memphis wears scarves. It's 110 degrees outside. But, you know, they showed up wearing that stuff. And they were carrying two borrowed cameras. And they were going to do a little short, like, ESPN 30 for 30 documentary on our team because they'd heard about the story through some news clippings about the success we were having. And after a couple of weeks, they said, we're going to make a movie. And then they leave and come back three weeks later on a shoestring budget. And we think, whatever, you know, honestly, the only reason we agreed to do it is because we thought we'd have a cool video yearbook of our season. And they left Memphis with 550 hours of film and went back to L.A. and started editing And we thought we might see this thing on channel 263 on Xfinity at two in the morning on some Wednesday night. And two years later, I'm walking down the red carpet at the Academy Awards. That must have been quite a trip. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm hanging out. I'm literally walking down the red carpet with P. Diddy and George Clooney. And since then, I've done some work with Pete Carroll. And Coach Carroll has said, you know, Bill, I do not understand how you win an Oscar coaching football. And I said, I don't either. I don't know how it happened, but it did. And I want to tell you, I really thought, you know, that's my 20 minutes of fame. I'm going back to Memphis, coach football, run my business, be who I am. And I was told in LA, ironically, by Ari Emanuel, who owns WME, Rob Manuel's brother, who is chief staff for Obama, he said, you know, your life's never going to be the same. And I was like, you know, I appreciate it. Whatever. Deuces, I'm out. This has been a blast. I'm going home. And all the requests for interviews and TV shows and the book deals came. And Lisa and I talked about it. And we said, you know what? If this gives us a platform, I think it's high time that we start having real conversations about politics and race and creed, and faith, and belief sets. But we got to start having those conversations in non-threatening civil ways. And more and more, I see the lack of civility in our political discourse, and our religious discourse, and our racial discourse as more threatening to our union than even China. And I thought, well, if this gives us a platform to have those conversations on a greater scale in a book and in speeches and in meeting men like you on this podcast, then I'm going to take it. And so the rule was that Lisa gave me, and I do everything Lisa says because of the story I told you before. Well, I'm also scared of her, so I do everything she says. But she said, don't forget who you are, where you come from. Keep it real. And don't take engagements because they pay a lot. Take engagements because you have an opportunity to do a lot. And that's been the guiding principle ever since the Academy Awards happened. And so I was given a platform by some stroke of luck or God's divine providence or whatever. And so for the last 10 years, we've been having those conversations about stuff that matters. And so... Yeah, life changed for me, and it was weird. And walking down the red carpet with George Clooney and P. Diddy is a surreal experience, one I'd never thought I'd have, that I never sought out. But it has given me an opportunity 
to, I think, have a conversation about stuff that matters. And for that, it's a blessing. Did Lisa go to the Academy Awards with you? Yeah, I can't. I don't go anywhere without Lisa. How did she like meeting George Clooney? Oh, she didn't care anything about it. (laughs) She is not impressed. She married a football coach from Memphis and a lumberman. And, you know, I swear this is true. We're walking down the red carpet. If you've ever been to the Academy Awards, it looks like the press is all out amongst everybody, but they're not. They're in little cubicles, and they're actually kind of with the camera behind them, and they're leaning out over, talking to people as they walk by. And the vast majority of people in the theater don't walk down the red carpet. Most of them go in a normal door. The red carpet's for the A-listers, and Lisa and I took a wrong turn or something and ended up out there. And Ryan Seacrest had just had some nice things to say. And as I kind of backed away from him, because the carpet's not wide, it's only about 12 feet wide, so it's tight as people are filing through. When I backed up, I actually stepped on George Clooney's foot. And then when I turned around, it was him. And I'm like, not only did I step on somebody's foot, I stepped on like the man's foot. Before I could even say I'm sorry, he goes, oh, Coach Bill. And he hugs me, you know, he gives me a little hug. And I'm like, holy crap, what am I doing here? And Lisa's standing right behind us. And, you know, I think, well, you hadn't been impressed yet, but look at here what I got on the red carpet balled up. So I'm hugging George back and I'm looking at Lisa and her mouth looks like the end of an uncooked hot dog. She's pierced up like, what are you doing? And at the end of the night, I said, baby, why were you so upset about the whole George thing? And she says, if you forgot who you are, he doesn't know you. He doesn't care anything about you. You need to keep it real. And somebody whispered his ear who you are. If he saw you today, he'd cross the street and get away from you. Quit acting like you somebody you're not. So how did she like it? She loved it. And she was wearing a gown in a jewelry store here in Memphis, gave her all this jewelry to wear. And on three different occasions, I heard people say, wow, now who is she? I mean, it wasn't about me. I was this dumpy, goofy dude in a rented tux walking down the red carpet. But everybody that saw Lisa, they just knew she was a Hollywood movie actress and star because she was gorgeous, but they couldn't quite place her. So how'd she like it? I mean, you know, it was a night at the Academy Awards. That was fun. But she came back to Memphis and was mom to her kids and my wife. That's great. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So now you decided to develop an army of normal folks. Tell us what you're trying to achieve and why that seemed like the next step. Well, I was doing an interview about two years ago. I was asked by some people in Chicago, and it was one of those days that something happened in our country that changed the news cycle. I don't remember what the story was, but it was a story that if I could remember the story, you'd all go, oh, yeah, I remember that story. I watched Newsmax, Fox, CNN, and CNBC coverage on this same exact issue that happened. And it was like we were on four different planets. And it frustrated me. It really frustrated me because something so simple and obvious was spun so many different ways. And I was really frustrated with it because I think that's when the public has to make value judgments about the honesty of the reporting of a story, we are losing a part of us that is a necessary piece of our democracy. And I was frustrated. And so this guy asked me a question about, you know, you went into the inner city and fixed the proverbial it. How are we going to fix it nationally? And I said, you know what? There are neighborhoods all over our country. When you drive past and you look down that street or you're on an interstate, you look over the viaduct and you see the, disenfranchisement and the poverty and the despair that you do not want to have a flat tire right there. You're scared to death. If that's where you have a flat tire, you're going to get mugged trying to change your flat tire. And then as you safely pass by, your mindset changes as you recognize all that poverty and despair. And you think, gosh, somebody ought to do something about that one day down there as if the sentiment matters. And I suggest the sentiment doesn't mean a damn thing. I think we ought to hit that rearview mirror about 15 degrees to the left and look ourselves in the eyes and say, maybe I ought to do something about that one day, because here's the truth. 
all of the talking heads on all the national radio stations, they're not going to fix anything. We have such dysfunction in D.C. right now that I think government is proving woefully inadequate. Rather, I just think it's going to take an army of normal folks. I just think it's going to take people in their area of the world seeing an area need and a discipline that they have some passion and just saying, hey, somebody ought to not fix that one day. I've got the talents and I've got the passion. Why don't I employ those in my little corner of the world? And can you imagine what our country would look like if we literally had hundreds of thousands of normal folks that aren't tabbed by an NGO, that aren't part of the elite class, that aren't beautiful people doing something, writing checks, but normal folks who have money troubles and kid troubles and work troubles and financial troubles, normal people who don't do things because they're part of the pretty people, but they do things despite the normal things we have to overcome on a daily basis to try to raise our families and have a good job. And they still get involved in their communities and exact some positive measure for some people who are not as fortunate as them and need it. What if we had an army of normal folks engaging across this country, seeing area needs and filling it? I think that could fix the proverbial it. And we need to quit thinking that somebody ought to do something about it because the power class in New York and the dysfunction in D.C. is never going to fix it. And I said that in this interview. About six months later, these people from Chicago, Iron Light Labs, called me up and said, I can't quit thinking about what you said to us in that interview. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, did I cuss? What did I say? And they reminded me of what I said. And they said, do you really feel that way? And I said, absolutely. And they said, we want to create a podcast where we interview normal people from all walks of life, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, male, female, Democrat, Republican, independent, libertarian, whatever, across this country who are doing the exact things you're talking about and make them the stars of each episode and tell normal people stories that are doing extraordinary things and make them interesting, make them entertaining, certainly make them fun and light, but also have drama and content in it. But in doing so, also try to create a movement to inspire listeners that if you listen long enough, you will hear a story about something that you can do that you're passionate about. And then your stories will then create a blueprint for how to go do those things and have each guest provide their personal contact information. So with that blueprint, you can also call and have a mentor to help you get started in your community. And over the course of time, tell a bunch of stories, but also inspire a bunch of people to get involved and maybe literally create that army of normal folks to change the direction and the narrative of our culture. And I said, okay, that sounds great. And we started doing it. And so we released about 11 weeks ago. We've been as high as number 10 in the country on Apple. So it's resonating And we're telling these stories and trying to inspire people from all walks of life, regardless of how you worship, who you love, or how you vote, to get involved in their community and share those stories in community with people. Because I don't care how you think, how you love, how you vote, how you worship. 
there's one thing we can all celebrate together regardless of our differences, and that is the work to help someone who is not as fortunate as us. We can all celebrate that. And so we're trying to create this podcast that's entertaining and interesting, but also behind it, an actual movement of people who can join in community to celebrate this work. How often are you doing the podcast? Releases every week, every Tuesday we release, and each podcast has between an hour and a half and two hours of content. So each podcast we release on Tuesday, but typically part one, part two, and part three. So they're in 30 to 45 minute increments so that you can listen on your morning walk or your jog or your way back forth to work and listen to them throughout the week so that when you roll around to Tuesday, you're ready to hear another one. We also do embedded in an army of normal folks, occasional seven to eight minute shorts, like I did one on Father's Day that was just me reflecting on the importance of Father's Day. And then also on occasion, we interview people you would know, but we don't interview them to tell their stories because their stories have been told. We call it supporting greatness. And so we interview people you do know, but we briefly talk about what they've done to set perspective, but we talk about the people the normal people who came along in their lives that supported their greatness. So we interviewed Mike Rowe and we talked about his scoutmaster, his grandfather and his music teacher and how they provided the foundation for him to go on and do great things. And just yesterday I interviewed David Bellavia, who is the only living medal of honor winner from Iraq. And we talked about the people in his life, his father, his grandfather, the unnamed living and dead heroes of the ramrods who supported him. And we celebrate the normal people who supported their greatness through life. And so we release weekly and that's kind of the idea behind the show. And like I said, it has started to resonate, but we're out there working hard to promote it, to try to get more people to join the proverbial army. That's great. How do people find it? Yeah. Normal folks.us. Like you, we're distributed by iHeart. So anywhere, you know, Apple, iHeart, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you go to normalfolks.us for the website. You can email me at bill at normalfolks.us. And you can find on coachbillcourtney.com links to it. And just go and listen. I don't want people to think if I got to listen to this, I'm going to have to get involved in something. I just want people to go to listen, be entertained. And the hope is that over time, while being entertained, you hear something that clicks that says, wow, now that's something I could do. You don't have to start some massive organization with thousands of people. You can serve five people in your community and make a difference. It's normal folks doing normal things in community, celebrating that work that we're looking for and just grow up a massive number of people doing that and all communicating and celebrating over it. You've had a remarkable life already, and it's clear that you're going to continue to be a leader and you're going to continue to help people and to help the country. You know, I want to thank you for joining me, and I want to encourage our listeners to go to Amazon.com, watch your inspiring documentary, Undefeated, and then go to Apple Podcasts or the iHeart app and listen to your new podcast, An Army of Normal Folks. And Bill, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us today. It truly is my honor. I think your service to our country 
was exemplary and you served at a really interesting time and I'm really honored to meet you and be with you. I appreciate it. Thank you to my guest, Coach Bill Courtney. You can learn more about Undefeated and his podcast, An Army of Normal Folks, on our show page at newtworld.com. Newtworld is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newtworld, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Every Day Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Every Day Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.